0: Hello, welcome to Inspired. But tired. I'm Haley Schrager, and I'm Kayla Muldoon, and we're ready to inspire
1: you today. We are. We're feeling a little tired, but we are so inspired. We are. <laughs> How
0: many times can we say the title in the podcast? What's the world record for most times a name is of the podcast has been said in the podcast?
1: I don't know, but we'll I feel have like to we find just it and it. break it.
0: <laughs> so, um, any housekeeping? I don't think so. I don't think so either. We're releasing this episode as a special bonus
1: episode for our first release. So so we're, to be honest with you, we're recording this the same day as the other <laughs> one, so I haven't yet figured out what I was wrong about. So we'll just have a double whammy of I yeah. was wrong corner Yeah. next time we record.
0: Next week, write us on our Facebook or our Instagram if we get anything wrong or like a, a fact, a pronunciation, yeah. and we will correct ourselves ...on our episode next week, which will be January
1: 23rd. Yep. Okay, great. Good news? Good news. What would you got? So this is something I found on the Huffington Post from just a few weeks ago. And I'll just kind of read you what the headline itself said. Sure. It is, Former homeless man becomes London's top bus driver. A man who spent decades on the streets and in hostels has been named London's best bus driver because he never stops smiling. And if you if you just look up former homeless man becomes London's top bus driver on Google Images, you'll see a picture of him and he is so joyous and he's standing in front of the, that big red double-decker bus with such pride.
0: Aww.
1: And it, it just made me so happy. And he's doing so great.
0: That is
1: so so cool. that's my good news of the week. I
0: love that. Um, my good news was reported by the American Cancer Society the cancer death rate in the United States has declined by 27% over the course of the last 25 years, and the decline translates to nearly 2.6 million deaths averted during this time period. Wow. Mm-hmm. That
1: is pretty good, That's I'd pretty say. Good. I thought so, too. All right. Should we get into it? How are we doing this? Uh, We're just w- switching? Uh, sure. Did you go first last time? I went time? first last time. Okay,
0: so I'll go first this time.
1: All right. Seems okay. fair. <laughs>
0: Get ready to hear about Lois Gibbs. Okay. Have you heard of her?
1: I don't. It does not sound familiar.
0: She's an environmental activist. Okay. She was born Lois Marie Kahn on June 25th, 1951. She grew up in a blue collar community in New York, five siblings. Her father was a bricklayer and worked in the steel mills and her mother was a um, full-time stay-at-home mom. As a child, she was extremely shy. Her mother was once quoted saying that all her daughter ever wanted was a home and a husband and children. Aww. She didn't participate in any school activities or play sports, but she spent a lot of her time doing her favorite hobby, which was sewing. Mm. Shortly after graduating from high school in 1969, Lois married her first husband, Henry Gibbs, who was a chemical worker. The couple had two children, Michael and Melissa, And in 1972, they moved into a three-bedroom home at Love Canal to live out the American dream.
1: Love Canal. Love
0: Canal. Sounds like an 80s song. I thought I was going to say, oh, isn't that a show? But no, it was Love Love Boat. Boat. The Love Boat. And also,
1: I said it sounds like an 80s song, which is just called The Love Shack. I'm just (laughs) throwing words around.
0: Well, you take the Love Boat through the Love Canal to To get get to to the Love love Shack. shack. (gasps) I think we figured it out. Beautiful. Um... So, in the spring of 1978, she noticed her normally healthy children were experiencing some really weird health issues like epilepsy, urinary tract, and respiratory problems, and just out of nowhere.
1: That sounds like an issue.
0: So, she read, because uh, this is her, the Love Canal, or not the Love Canal. <laughs> <laughs> Love, Love, Shark- <laughs> Love Shark- Canal was near Niagara Falls or in Niagara Falls, that area. Mm-hmm. So, she was reading a Niagara Gazette series on a local hazardous waste problems, and she soon discovered that Hooker Chemical Corporation, which Hooker? is a, Hooker? Hooker. Okay. Hooker Chemical Corporation, which is a subsidiary of Occidental Petroleum, had buried more than- are you ready for this? No. 20,000 tons of toxic chemicals beneath the surface of her son's elementary school- between 1920 and 1953, twenty thousand tons—twenty thousand tons—was of toxic That's... chemical waste was buried beneath her children's school, Over elementary what? school. Thirty-three
1: years. That sounds. Uh, like...
0: Thirty-three years. That's... And in 1953, the board of education purchased that land for one dollar.
1: Uh, one dollar. <laughs> they were robbed, is they what were... I have to say. <laughs> do you think? Do you think they knew? And just didn't care, or do you think that they didn't realize it would have such a negative knew that effect at that time?
0: Do do I think that they knew that there was that chemical there was
1: waste? Twenty thousand tons of that seems like I something mean, that'd be hard to miss.
0: I I don't know I, I think that they knew that the land had been like used by this chemical company and I think especially at that time it was I don't know that they knew that how it affected harmful, people, like yeah. how harmful it was. To- yeah, so I don't know that they really cared at first because they didn't know that any problems would exist. Yeah. Um, the waste eventually contaminated the local water supply. It caused clusters of unexplainable illnesses. It caused birth defects in the neighborhood. Uh. Um, and having identified the toxic chemical exposure as the root of her, of her community's ill health, she transformed herself virtually overnight from a shy housewife into a strong-minded grassroots organizer. Quote, I waited at the house for somebody to knock on my door and tell me what to do at Love Canal. When nobody came, I went and knocked on doors. Oof. Mm-hmm. she got chills. Mm-hmm. She completely turned her life upside down.
1: Yeah. I mean, she moved past the fact that she had... She was shy. Some, yeah, really... social issues and mm-hmm. just... Fought for the greater good. That's, Absolutely, yeah. Mama bear. Mama
0: bear. So she and her husband had purchased this home. They couldn't afford to move. Uh, so she took to the streets with a posi- a petition. It was a position. Her position on the
1: petition. Yeah, there you
0: go. Was urging her neighbors to stand up for themselves. And all
1: my papers. They're just go all fell. of them. <laughs> you're improving the rest of the story.
0: Da, da da da. Uh, let's see if I memorized my lines. <laughs> um, the comp uh, so, yeah, she was urging her neighbors to stand up for themselves and for their families. Meanwhile. <laughs> meanwhile. meanwhile ooh, tell me. You know what's
1: going to be good when your voice gets Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's about to happen.
0: Hooker Chemical, the company that buried the toxins, was continuing to claim that nothing was wrong, despite the high rates of birth defects, miscarriages, cancers, and other illnesses at Love Canal. It's like, these people are just really unlucky. Mm-hmm. We didn't do anything wrong. No. So she found out in the spring of 1978 what
1: was she put happening. two and two together.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think it was. Or so were they her, get, like exposed. I think the article in the newspaper put it together. Okay. And then she was the one who kind of went out and reform,
1: try to reform. Right. Okay.
0: So in August 1978, she founded the Love Canal Homeowners Association, and she began petitioning for the closure of the elementary school. She gained tons of support from her neighbors, obviously. And she learned about other health problems in the community, including liver disorders, blood disease, asthma, and, like, among all the other things that I had mentioned before. Is
1: there a movie about this?
0: Yes, there is. Um, I will... I have the title... I feel like I've seen... Later. It's... Do, do, do. You can tell oh, me what it is. it's Lois Gibbs, The Love Canal Story, starring Marsha
1: Mason. Oh, not... Not at all the movie I was thinking of. Oh, well, I just remember... I don't know. I... This just sounds... I'm sure this is a plot of something else, too, about...
0: I feel like there are... There being... A lot of movies very similar. There, someone at someone home nervous. is
1: screaming the title.
0: Yeah. <laughs> of the movie that you're yeah, thinking, that of? Yeah. thinking of. Yeah, that I'm thinking of. Next week. Next week, we'll find out. I'll figure it out. She also learned that the residents' fears that their homes would soon be worthless, trapping them in the polluted neighborhood forever. And, like, their, their investment's just... Yeah. Blowing up. Uh, so around the same time, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency released its study showing that residents exhibited chromosomal damage. And the angry Love Canal residents took two EPA residents host- or uh, representatives hostage.
1: <laughs> That's
0: how you get it done. That's how you get it. Apparently, uh, she Gibbs took the Democratic National Convention by surprise in order to appeal for mortgage assistance for the re- residents of Love Canal. They took her and two neighbors took the petition with 161 signatures to the commissioner of the state department of health who immediately closed the school and recommended that pregnant women and children living close to the school leave the area immediately yes, thank god immediately i i kind of hope that they had a way out
1: Right. Like did they, they,
0: ha, did they have somewhere did they have did somewhere they have
1: somewhere, somewhere to go, go or were yeah. they like uh go figure that one
0: out or were they just kind of covering their own yeah trail by saying oh yeah you oh, should right, leave. this is yeah um, within a week of the meeting with the state department of health uh, Gibbs and other LCHA members rejoiced as President Jimmy Carter announced on October first nineteen eighty that the government would purchase all Love Canal homes at fair market value a combined total of fifteen million dollars.
1: So that these people can move.
0: So these people can
1: move. Well, good.
0: Occidental Petroleum was later fined for contaminating the environment with hazardous wastes and ultimately paid $98 million to New York State and another $129 million to the federal government to cover relocation and cleanup costs. And that's 80s money. And that's 80s money. That's, so that's,
1: so that's, that's like $3 now. I'm just it. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that would pay off my student loans. Um, and then you have $10 left. The
0: victory at Love Canal instilled in Lois Gibbs at the belief that ordinary citizens, when organized and determined, can connect- can collectively make significant change happen. That- that's true. So- That's inspiring. After this, Gibbs and her husband divorced. That's and she moved to Arlington, Virginia in 1981 and founded the Citizens Clearing House for Hazardous Waste, which is now known as the Center for Health, Environment, and Justice. And it's still running and doing stuff today. Which and that's I'll...
1: like Arlington, Virginia? Yeah. yeah, so that's like right outside of D.C.
0: Yeah, she, so she's in D.C. Well. Wow. Uh, Knowing what it was like to have limited resources in the face of an environmental crisis, Gibbs wished to provide aid to individuals and communities facing a toxic health threat by offering abundant educational, technical, and organizational support. During the crisis, she received numerous phone calls from people around the country who were experiencing similar problems, which revealed to her that the problem of toxic waste went so far beyond her own backyard that it was a national problem. Yeah. She became determined to support other efforts by sharing her experiences and her newfound expertise. So since, since its inception, the Center for Health, Environment, and Justice has assisted more than 10,000 grassroots groups in shutting down existing polluters and preventing hazardous waste disposal facilities from being built. It is also responsible for, the, for a number of successful campaigns, including... The McToxics campaign of 1987 that put an end to fast food restaurants' use of styrofoam. (laughs) McToxic. McToxics.
1: Way to call them out.
0: Right? Uh, Convinced businesses such as Microsoft to use safer materials in their packaging and products. And more recently, because she's still doing this work to this day. She's, yeah, okay. How old is she now? She was born in 1951. okay. I believe. So she would be 68?
1: I, math is not my forte. I believe that's right.
0: If I'm wrong, everyone else who can do fast math better than I can knows. That sounds good. That sounds right. (laughs) So, more recently, she pressured Target and other retailers to phase out PVC, a a harmful substance found in many toys. Mm -hmm. In 2011, she turned her attention to fracking, writing about the dangerous method of uh, mining oil and gas. Though her critics say that she goes too far in her fight for environmental safety, she believes that... We must put families in the earth first.
1: Yeah, I don't know that you can go too far with uh, your life there.
0: <laughs> eh. It's just toxic chemicals. It's, it's fine. They're fine. Go you turn a little scale. green, you get some scales, yeah. get some gills. Go play over by the,
1: you know, the oil rigs. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> turn into a fish. Like the kid from Kim Possible. Do you remember that episode of Kim Possible? No. no? Oh, uh, there's an episode know. of the Disney Channel show Kim Possible that I watched when I was little. And it's this. She's
1: lying. She watched it last night. I, 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 <laughs> I, I,
0: I wa- I'm watching it right now. Um, and there is this kid that went to a camp in the lake had toxic chemicals in it, what and is, so he
1: turned into a fish. Isn't that the premise of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too? That they were like toxic.
0: Yeah. Waste? I think so. Wait a. So that is not an accurate depiction of what will happen. That to is know. not an accurate depiction. You will not become a superhero. No. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Um. <laughs> So, since the late 1970s, she's published many articles and has written several books, including Love Canal, My Story, which is just about her experience with Love Canal. Mm -hmm. Dying from Dioxin, A Citizen's Guide to Reclaiming Our Health and Rebuilding Democracy. She's received numerous awards. She received honorary degrees from three universities. She received a nomination for the 2003 Nobel Peace Prize as well. Whoa. Uh, She... In an article from August 6, 2018, Michelle DeLuca quotes Lois Gibbs in the Niagara Gazette. Yes, I'm mad as hell. It's 40 years and I have to go visit the group in St. Louis and work with those families to get the government to do what they should just do automatically. These are innocent people, innocent families, innocent children. How can they do that? How can they sleep at night? If she does retire, it will only be because of an upcoming merger of five different environmental and citizen action organizations. They plan to build a multi-platform movement of working people and working poor to address some of multiple issues, um, some multiple of issues from the environment, to healthcare, to immigration, to criminal justice. The merger will grow her power, the power of her agency, which currently has just a handful of people To nearly 70 employees, about 30 affiliates, and a membership of 7 million. Oh! Oh. And she's confident that social media will make the yet unnamed merged group even more powerful. Yeah. And that is the story of Lois Gibbs. And there's no way I ever learned
1: about her in environmental science. Oh,
0: I never have heard of her before my research this past week. That's... And she's still alive. She's still doing Mm. it. She's still fighting the good fight. And she still lives in uh, the D.C. area.
1: Cool. We should, so we could go on a trip. We'll go to Omaha first from last week's we'll go to episode. Omaha, yep. And then it's nowhere near, but then we'll go over to D.C. We'll do something with her collective. And Make some stops along the way. Okay. Cool. Who you got? Thanks for that. Okay. I have Elizabeth Cochran Seaman, a.k.a. Nellie Bly.
0: Okay, I think I know who that is, but I'm not
1: okay positive so
0: i'm just let's see
1: kind of... how much you know
0: also i really like telling a story first because now i get to just sit back with like a blanket and listen. i don't know i'm
1: like i i kind of like this because now i'm like revved up You're,
0: oh i'm yeah. inspired
1: yay i'm inspired i did it <clears throat> you did okay so Nellie bly was a pioneering american investigative journalist who was most known for her record breaking trip around the world in 72 days i was right you knew who that was i knew who it was did you know this part and her expose in which she worked undercover from the inside of a mental institution to report about it. So, okay, I did not know that part. Okay, so she went undercover into a, a mental institution to report from within.
0: Can I ask a question? Obviously. So, season two of American Horror Story. Yep. yes. Amazing.
1: Okay, <laughs> cool. Yes. No, actually, there are, sorry, I didn't even let you, Yeah, you can ask your question, then I cut you off. There are, there are a lot of, TV shows and movies and characters that have been based on Nellie Bly. And yes, Lana Winters from American Horror Story Asylum, portrayed by Sarah Paulson, is inspired by Nellie Bly.
0: I hope I do something great enough one day so Sarah Paulson plays me in a
1: movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is. <laughs> so Nellie Bly. God, I love her. Okay. So she was born Elizabeth Jane Cochran in 1864 in Cochran Mills, Pennsylvania, which is now considered part of Pittsburgh. shout out that's where we met that is where we met where where we attended university university okay so (laughs) at the age of 16 Bly started working as a writer for the pittsburgh dispatch which was her local newspaper at 16 wow and she initially started focusing on the lives of working women and she wrote an incredible series of investigative articles on women factory workers and kind of exposed how they were taken advantage of and how hard they worked for how little. However, the newspaper soon received complaints from the factory owners about her writing because obviously she's kind of slamming them because Mm -hmm. they're not treating their people correctly. And so in order to avoid any confrontation with the factory and the newspaper, the newspaper reassigned her to cover strictly the women's pages about fashion, society, and gardening because sexism. Mm -hmm. And if you like fashion society and gardening, which I also do, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And we need writers about it. But that just wasn't her cup of tea. So, she was dissatisfied with this role and ended up going on to travel to Mexico where she served as a foreign correspondent. Wow. And though she was only 21 years old at the time, she spent nearly six months reporting on the lives and customs of the Mexican people.
0: Wow, oh, and she's only 21 still.
1: Yeah, and she's just like uh. living amongst the Mexican culture so that she can write about them. Kind yeah. of the way that last week you were talking about uh, Fletcher. Yeah. Th- who was writing, who was kind of living amongst the Native Americans oh, to write yeah. about them. Alice
0: Fletcher, yeah. Alice
1: Fletcher, yeah. So similar to that. Cool. So her findings were later published in book form as six months in Mexico. And in one of the most popular reports, she told the story of a local journalist who had been imprisoned for criticizing the mexican government which at that time was a dicta- dictatorship under Porfirio diaz so when the authorities learned of this report they then threatened her with arrest and that caused her to flee the country mm-hmm. so she evaded arrest but she had to go back to america okay. so she returned to her hometown of pittsburgh and she returned to the pittsburgh dispatch newspaper and was again burdened with the task of solely reporting on theater and the arts which you and I love. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: And that would have been a great job for me, but that wasn't, again, what That's she wanted to do. Wanted. She wanted to be an investigative journalist, not a columnist or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, anything like that. So she ended up leaving Pittsburgh to go to New York City in 1887. And she left without really any promise of a job or knowing anyone or anywhere to live. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So she spent the four the next four months penniless and kind of living on the streets and in and out of hostels. Oh. And after those four months, she ended up talking her way into the office of Joseph Pulitzer, who was the owner of the newspaper The New York World. Right. Which is the plot of Newsies.
0: In a fine life carrying the But this was
1: several years before. This was, like, 12 years before the Newsboy strike. 18, okay. 1899, I believe, is when that started. then. So, 1899? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Yes, I was right. Um, <laughs> so this is, like, 13 years before that. Okay. Just for... You know, a reference of time. Eye. for Something that you probably do know about. Yeah. Right. So, she was able to talk her way into his office to speak to him personally. To kind wow. of plead her case about how she wanted to be an investigative journalist and mm-hmm. how good she was at it. And she ended up accepting the undercover assignment in which she was to admit herself to the woman's lunatic asylum on Blackwell's Island. Oh, no. It was called the woman's lunatic asylum.
0: That just... That does not sound like a...
1: A fun thing. A fun thing
0: that, I mean, not that investigative, you know. Yeah. That's that. That's the goal be to committed. be fun, but wow, it's just quite a task. That takes a lot of
1: well, personal. Strength. You're not get ready for what I have to tell you. I'm ready. So they basically were like, "This is where you need to go, and this is what you need to report about." There had been rumors that, and it was kind of just a known fact that mental institutions were understaffed and they weren't treating their patients correctly, mm-hmm. and so they wanted someone who could actually give the inside scoop. But they told her that she needed to be the one to get herself admitted, so in order to do that... So that it
0: didn't seem like suspicious?
1: Right, okay. and or, yeah. And I think, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure exactly why, but maybe just they were like, well, if you can pull this off, right. then you'll have proven yourself, okay. basically. Okay. So in order to convincingly convincingly pull this off and get herself accepted, admitted, excuse me, she first checked herself into a boarding house called Temporary Homes for Females, which was just like a boarding house for mm-hmm. people who could come and go if they didn't have their own homes. But when she stayed that night, she stayed up all night long. She forced herself to stay awake for over like 48 hours. Oh, no. In order to give herself the quote, wide-eyed look of a disturbed woman.
0: Stanislavski would like that. Talk
1: about method acting, <laughs> right? Yeah, he'd be proud. So she then began making accusations that all of the other boarders were crazy. And she even told the assistant assistant matron quote there are so many crazy people about and no one can ever tell what they will do end quote Nellie then refused to go to bed again that night and she eventually scared so many of the other boarders that the police were called to take her to the nearby courthouse so this is interesting the way that they deemed whether or not you were crazy enough to go into or mentally ill enough I shouldn't use the word crazy to go into an insane asylum They would bring you to a courthouse where you would be examined by a police officer and then stand before a judge and then they would ultimately decide and there may or may not be an actual doctor whose job it would be to determine your mental capacity so she was she was sorry i just have
0: a question yeah so there were psychologists at the psychologists at this point um, yeah right like in history yeah Who's like freud and young and all of them right so, they didn't even have a psychiatrist or a
1: psychologist. It didn't specify what kind of doctor. It okay. just said a doctor. So, probably so, just a physician. <laughs> and probably just, yeah, whoever was on staff at whatever time. Because this happened in, like, the middle of the night. Oh. When she was called. Because she did, wouldn't go to bed that night and stayed up, like, scaring other people. So, so it's
0: whoever could get down there fast Yeah, enough. so
1: basically you just call the cops. Right. And the police officer showed up and brought her to the courthouse. Okay. So she was examined by the police officer, apparently a judge did have kind of a look at her, but again, it was like, there are some drawings of it, mm-hmm. and like, recounts in her book that she talks about, it wasn't like, where you would sit down and, and talk, you know, mm-hmm. like on Monitor SVU, where B.D. Right. Wong interviews you to determine whether or not you're fit to stand trial, right. it was like, they were checking her physically, and they were like, doing an eye exam, and it just, it didn't make it didn't, sense, right. it didn't match up. They were doing, like, a physical exam to determine her mental fitness because...
0: Because that makes sense. No, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was being sarcastic. No, I know, I know.
1: (laughs) So they were like, yep, bang, bang the gavel, go to Blackwell's Island. (laughs) So once she was committed to the asylum, Bly experienced firsthand the deplorable conditions. So get this. There were 16 doctors that worked at Blackwell's Island. Guess how many patients there were. I don't want to. You want to tell you? Yeah. 1,600. I'm sorry, what? So, 100. And they actually, they didn't call them patients. They called them inmates. Oh, no, 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 no. Like a prison. Yikes. So, there was one doctor for every 100, quote, unquote, inmates. Now,
0: I'm not a doctor. And now am,
1: am I a mathematician, as we have heard earlier in this podcast. You were right, by the way. I checked in 68. Oh, so I, I mean, depending what month she was born, she might be now sixty nine,
0: so yeah. I actually am a mathematician, mm-hmm. Podcast, mm-hmm. but I'm not a yeah. doctor. And it seems to me like that's that's like impossible. 90 patients too many per doctor.
1: Yeah. Well, well, especially if it's yeah, if it's people that it's like, you can have a hundred patients that you see if you have your own practice and they come in for, you know, once in like, a while. Like a cold or yeah, a Yeah, infection. of course, but to have, if you're the live-in doctor and there are live-in patients that you need to check hours. on constantly, you can't get to all, you can't get to all of them. It's, it's just impossible. That's wild. So that was problem one, is that they were completely <laughs> understaffed. So she spent ten excruciating days in the asylum. And pretty much as soon as she got to the asylum, she dropped the act Mm -hmm. and was like, I'm not crazy. I just was having, you know, whatever she did to say, which only made it worse. So trying to convince them that you weren't crazy made them think that you were more so crazy. And then they would treat you worse. And one of the things she quoted about in her book was, I'm going to just paraphrase it right now, then I'll get to the quote later. Okay. But she basically said, if you... If women were brought here because they were actually sick with something Mm -hmm. or just, you know, dropped off here because they were homeless or they didn't have families, Mm -hmm. even if they weren't mentally ill, even if they didn't have a mental illness before they came, spending that much time in the conditions that they were in would make you...
0: Oh, absolutely. ...mentally ill.
1: So she said... She basically was saying she's sure that a lot of these women are uh, mentally ill at this point, but Mm -hmm. because of the way way that they were being... yeah held hostage basically so she ended up uh writing about her findings um and it was turned into a book called 10 days in the madhouse and the way she ended up actually getting out after 10 days was that the asylum released Bly at the request of the world newspaper and so they had to like they sent someone vouched to for get for her. her. Yeah, they had to send someone to get her.
0: Did they figure out did she have like any she couldn't have correspondence with them from intensity No, and inside these it. were all
1: like she couldn't have she couldn't read or write.
0: So did they just kind of assume like it had been ten days and they're like, oh no, she probably needs Yeah,
1: help. I it sounds like there might have been some agreed upon like spend a week there. Right. Or you if know. we don't hear from you by this time, we'll save you. Yeah. Okay. That kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. And also you have to think that like she wasn't allowed to have pen or paper. She didn't have notes with her, like she had to relive the experience as she wrote it, oh. which I'm sure was hard. Oh, absolutely. Um, but so the book, Ten Days in a Madhouse, basically made her an overnight sensation, and it prompted the asylum to implement reforms and brought her lasting fame. So at least it did its job. It helped. Yeah. And in fact, the New York City municipal government appropriated more money to take care of the mentally ill on Blackwell's Island, and also a grand jury was set to investigate the abuse and poor treatment themselves. Wow. Good. So, yeah. So at least something was happening yeah. there. So I'm just going to read some excerpts from the book. Okay. And then I'll move on to her next greatest accomplishment. I'm ready. So I'll just go in order that I... I don't think this is necessarily in order of how the book is written, but this They're just is kind of... Significant. Yeah. So, quote, I would like the expert physicians who are condemning me for my action, which has proven their ability, to take a perfectly sane and healthy woman... Shut her up and make her sit from 6 a.m. until 8 p.m. on straight back benches, not allow her to talk or move during these hours, give her no reading and let her know nothing of the world or its doings, give her bad food and harsh treatment, and see how long it will take to make her insane. Ooh. Two months would make her a mental and physical wreck. So that's like the direct quote that I paraphrased okay. earlier about anyone who spends any time here will go crazy. Quote, people in the world can never imagine the length of days to those in asylums. They seemed never ending and we welcomed any event that might give us something to think about as well as talk of. End quote. And this one, which really kills me, quote, it is only after one is in trouble that one realizes how little sympathy and kindness there are in the world. End quote. That one makes me sad. I know. And then this one is my favorite. Okay. She simply said, quote, I said I could and I would and I did. Oh, I like
0: that. I want to put that on my wall. I want to, yeah.
1: That's, yeah. It's my new catchphrase. I said I could and I would, and I did. So, but that's only part one of the amazing accomplishments of Nellie Bly. Wow. You want to hear part two? I absolutely want to hear part two. So, in 1888, which is just one year after, or less than a year, Mm -hmm. within the year of her getting out of the asylum and writing the Overnight Sensation book, she suggests to her editor that she could take a trip around the world attempting to turn the fictional around the world in 80 days into a reality. Oh. So she tells these people that she will be able to beat the record and write about it. And only a year later, um, with only two days notice, she leaves at 9.40 a.m. on November 14th, 1889. And she boards the Augusta Victoria and begins her 40,070 kilometer journey, which is 24,898 miles. Wow. She brought with her the dress she was wearing, a sturdy overcoat, several changes of underwear, and a small travel bag for the essentials. And she carried most of her money in a bag tied around her neck. Oh. Yeah. like that. But so she's getting ready to travel the world essentially alone.
0: Do you think she was, like, do you think Amelia Earhart kind of looked up to her Like would she would she have been like
1: a an influencer? I'm sure.
0: Okay. Yeah,
1: and because she didn't, as far as I know, none of her traveling was through plane.
0: At this point, yeah, yeah.
1: right, exactly. So, but yeah, I'm sure that this, yeah, another female traveling around the world. I'm sure was. So it would have been boat then. Boats and some some railroads. Some railroads had popped up throughout that she took. So Cosmopolitan newspaper, which is now the magazine, was a newspaper back then sponsored its own reporter, another female, Elizabeth Bisland, to beat the time of both Phileas Fogg, who is the, the main character in the Jules Verne's Around mm-hmm. the World in 80 Days, and Nellie Bly. So basically these two Ooh, reporters are having yeah, a contest to see who can make it back first. So Bisland would travel in the opposite direction around the world, but she took off the same day that Nellie Bly did. In order to sustain the interest in the story, the World Newspaper organized what they called the Nellie Bly Guessing Game, in which readers were asked to estimate Bly's arrival time to the second. But if they did, or whoever got closest, would win the grand prize of a free trip to Europe. And spending money. Did they
0: have a, like a guesstimation? Like it's not, obviously it wasn't going to be like, oh, she's going to be home on day two at this time. Was it like between...
1: I don't know, yeah, I don't know if they gave her then like a parameter of like realistically like, how long it could take or if just with the knowledge of 80 days being okay. The goal to be less than. Okay. Yeah. I was just that I was, was just curious. No, I yeah. I don't know. But during her travels around the world, she went through England, France, Brindisi, Colombo, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Japan. And through submarine cable networks and electric telegraph, she was able to send short-progress reports mm. more immediately, basically just like, this is where I am now, and this is where I'm headed next. Right. Uh, and then she also could send an occasional telegraph or a letter, but that would take several weeks and right. obviously wouldn't reflect where she was at the time. So she traveled using steamships and the existing railroad systems which were in place. But since those railroad systems were so new, like this was really the start of the boom of the railroad system, mm-hmm. it caused occasional setbacks, particularly on the Asian leg of her race. So some fun facts about that, because she wasn't able to travel as quickly, during these stops when she had to wait around for the next train, she did one of, she did two things. She visited a leper colony in China. Oh. Yep. And in Singapore, she bought a monkey.
0: Like Ross and Friends?
1: <laughs> yeah, like just like a real monkey, and it is unclear whether or not the monkey continued traveling with her, No. or if she. But and I'm saying unclear because I didn't look into it. Oh, okay. uh, it's not that it's not recorded. We maybe will find it. I'm probably gonna look into it. <laughs> yeah, and if you, we'll find it next week. We'll tell you. I but
0: need to find out if she and this monkey were lifelong friends.
1: I hope so. Yeah, and I don't. Yeah, I I don't know what That's the good. deal is with that, but she purchased a monkey on her trip.
0: I mean, sometimes it's just...
1: You gotta go big. Sometimes you just... see
0: Dogs and cats just aren't your... They don't cut it. They don't cut it for you. <laughs> you need a monkey.
1: Okay. Due to rough weather on her Pacific crossing on her way back, mm-hmm. she arrived in San Francisco via the White Star Line ship RMS Oceanic, which is the same line as the Titanic. Titanic. Um, but this was several years earlier because Titanic sank in 1915 or 19- 1912. 1912. 1912. 1912. I just like the number 15, so I made it up. 1912. (laughs) But, so, she traveled through the White Star Line ship. um, On January 21st is when she arrived back in San Francisco, which was two days behind schedule. Mm -hmm. So, if they had a schedule, they must have been... Maybe they did release to the people. This is when we're anticipating her to be back. Okay. So, now you have to guess to the second when it will be. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, However, so, she landed in San Francisco on the ship. She needed to get back to New York, technically, to get completely around where she started from. Mm -hmm. So Pulitzer himself chartered a private train to bring her home. Yeah. She arrived back in New... Well, she arrived back in New Jersey Mm -hmm. on January 25th, 1890, at 3.51 p.m. She had circumnavigated the globe in 72 days. Wow. Traveling alone for almost her entire journey. And at the time she arrived, Elizabeth Bisland from Cosmopolitan... Newspaper was still crossing the Atlantic, and she arrived in New York four and a half days later. Just amazing. Was really close. By yeah, mind. she was doing great things as well. Bly's journey was a world record at the time, but it was soon overtaken by George Francis Train, who completed the journey in seventy or sixty-seven days. But that was also his second time attempting it. Mm-hmm. So it, like it was his second. He had he had already had like a, a test a run, right? Yeah. And then he beat his own record. On his third trip, he did it in 62 days.
0: You're your own best competition. You are.
1: All you have to do is prepare yourself. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, then she went back to reporting and was the first woman and one of the first ever foreigners to visit the war zone between Serbia and Austria. Hmm. Just went on in there into the middle of the uh, fire and all. And, in fact, was arrested for a short time after being mistaken for a British spy. Oh, uh but she was released pretty soon after, and she was not a they, Yeah, they figured it out. Yeah. She also notably covered the women's suffrage parade of 1913 mm. and in her publication Suffragists Are Men's Superiors, she accurately predicted that it would be it wouldn't be until 1920 before wow. women in the United States would be grant, white women in the United States would be granted the right to vote. Wow. So she somehow knew it would take you know several more years. <clears throat> in 1895, Bly married billionaire manufacturer Robert Seaman. And he was the head of the Ironclad Manufacturing Company, which was known for the construction of like canned, like can, canned goods and milk okay. cartons and stuff. And actually there was one can specific kind of design that was patented to Nellie Bly because not only was she an amazing reporter, but apparently she could also weld and build and design as if she didn't have enough going for her. <laughs> um, but at the time that they married, Nellie Bly was 31 and Seaman was 73. Oh yeah, just gonna leave it at that. That's hey, just whatever those, we're those are the facts. Hey, whatever we're Um, on. it seems like it was a short marriage because due to her husband's failing health, um, she ended up retiring from journalism to succeed him when he died, as the head of the Ironclad Manufacturing Company. So she became the head. Wow. Yep. But then she died of pneumonia at Saint Mark's Hospital in New York City in 1922, at the age of
0: 57. Oh,
1: so, I'm so sure. for the time, so that's, long, that's a pretty yeah. standard. Yeah. Wow. So, these are the, just a few of the references to her that we have found in entertainment and movies and such. So, in 1946, there was a Broadway musical entitled Nellie Bly.
0: Oh, we're finding it.
1: We are. Written by Johnny Burke and Jimmy Van Heusen. It ran for 16 performances, but it, it happened.
0: I think we should put it on. Let's do we it. Should,
1: I'm going to see if we can find the music from it. Inspired. <laughs> I am interested to hear yeah. what it's about or like i know what it's about but what it sounds like oh yeah um we talked about the character of lana winters portrayed mm-hmm. by sarah paulson an american horse story asylum Love directly it. inspired by bly's experience and my personal favorite Nellie Bree, the central character in american tale the mystery of the night monster the mouse what? is based on Nellie bly what yep Did you watch those movies? I loved
0: those movies. We would always watch them in elementary school.
1: Yeah. American Tale. I owned at least a couple of them on VHS.
0: Oh my goodness. Oh, they're so happy.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh my goodness. Oh. So that was Elizabeth
1: Cochran Seaman, a.k.a. Nellie Nellie Bly. Bly.
0: Nellie Bly and Lois Gibbs.
1: Fascinating ladies.
0: Amazing. Well... I think that we can skip something that inspired us this week, Yes, yeah, since we, we are releasing on the... this um, on as on the premiere day, Yeah, and we already released another one, mm-hmm. and although inspiring things do happen every single day, we'll leave it till next week.
1: Yeah, we'll leave it with those ladies that we just told you all about.
0: Yes. And so, can you tell me again the Nellie Bly quote?
1: I said I could and I would... And I did. I love that. I think we should leave it at that. I think we should leave it at that. Thanks for listening. Stay inspired. And wake up. (laughs) Bye.